Well, good morning. It's always a privilege to be here with God's people, and we're delighted that you are with us this morning as we open up God's Word, as we do every Sunday. So I would invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Ruth. We are still in chapter 1. We went through the first five verses the last time we were in the book of Ruth, and this morning we will be looking at verses 6 through 22. That is Ruth, chapter 1, verses 6 through 22. We'll read this entire passage. Please hear, for this is the word of the Lord. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then Then she kissed them, And they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me, And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Father, that you would use this time together to bring about a transformation in our lives. We would think rightly of you. 
Father, we have, many of us have heard many, many sermons. And in so doing, we can become callous and indifferent to this time together. We are prone, O God, to wander. And I pray, Father, that you would help us in our listening and in the proclaiming of your word. We are utterly dependent on your spirit to do the work that only your spirit can do. So we entrust this time to your care, Father. You would bring about a glorious, awesome reformation of our thoughts that we may behold Christ in his beauty. These things we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. What do you do when you encounter a hard providence? What do you do when you feel like your world is falling apart? What do you do when you feel vulnerable and exposed? What do you do when you feel like things aren't going as you plan? What do you do when you feel that life just stinks? But more importantly, what do you think about God when you encounter these situations? What do you think about God when life is challenging and is contrary to your expectations? What do you think about God when you encounter difficult and unpleasant providences? I want us to keep those questions tucked in the back of our minds as we encounter what God wants to tell us this morning through His Word. Now before we get into our verses this morning, I want to lay a little bit of groundwork in order for us to truly get and comprehend what God is showing us through the verses that we have read this morning. Don't worry, the sermon won't go past 12.45. In the second commandment, we see that God commands us to not make any representation of Him, either external or internal. Externally, we're not to make images of Him, of what's above in the heavens, on the earth, or underneath the earth that is in the sea. But the prohibition is not just making or fabricating images externally. The prohibition is also making or devising images of God internally, that is, in the mind. That means that as humans, we have this struggle. We might not make, as is a custom here in the Western world, we, we don't see idols as were done in, ancient, in the ancient Near East. But there is a tendency, there is a battle, there is a struggle to make images of God in our minds that are false images. And those two images, the image that God gives of Himself, namely through His Word and pro- most importantly through Christ, is in conflict with the images that we make of God and we fabricate about God. These are the two images that are in competition. This is especially true when we read God's Word. 
When we read the difficult narratives of the Old Testament, we are tempted to surmise that God is cruel, that He is mean, and even unreasonable. We think, we either think that He is a God that cannot be placated, that He's vindictive, malevolent, or unkind, or on the other extreme, sometimes we think that these stories and this God is irrelevant, and He's only around when we need Him. He becomes a small God. Both of these images are wrong because one sees God as cruel and the other sees God as irrelevant. So I ask again this morning, what do you think about God when you encounter difficult and unpleasant moments in your life? This question is important because what you think about God in your difficulty is the image you have about God. Nothing exposes our theology, nothing reveals what we really think about God than when we encounter difficult and hard providences. In our text this morning, we will see two images competing against each other. The image that God gives of himself as a gracious God and the image that Naomi has about God as a vindictive, power-hungry, malevolent ruler. And what we see as the drama unfolds before us this morning, we'll see this one truth. God graciously pursues sinners. That is the truth that we'll see in this competition of images. What will come forth clearly and powerfully is God graciously pursues sinners. That is the image that we are supposed to take away from our text this morning. Now, the last time we were in the book of Ruth, we stopped at a very difficult moment in in, in Naomi's life. She she was at the end of her rope. She had lost her her husband and her two sons. Her life was turned upside down. She was a wreck. She was in a difficult situation. Yet, it would have been just for God to leave her in her difficult situation. God would not have been unjust if, we had, if he had abandoned Naomi because it was Naomi who left with her husband and her two sons abandoning God's people and the promised land that God had given to them. But what we see in our verses is not that God abandons Naomi, but he is gracious to her. Why? Because God graciously pursues sinners. God's gracious covenantal loyalty towards willful sinners is awesome. We see that in our text this morning. And we see this develop in three ways. One, we see how God pursues sinners by how he extends grace to unfaithful people. We see how God extends grace through a cursed people. And lastly, we see how God extends grace for a broken people. The way we see God pursuing sinners is he extends grace 
to unfaithful people. He extends grace through a cursed people and he extends grace for a broken people. Let us take up point number one. God pursuing sinners by extending grace to unfaithful people. Naomi, understanding her destitution, decides to return back to Bethlehem. That's just a, a good thought of hers. She understands that she is in a difficult situation. And the only way to get out of this situation is to return back. And the reason she's returning back in verse 6 is that she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people. She was alone and empty in the fields of Moab. She hears this good news coming from God's people that God has been gracious to a sinful nation that was bent on doing whatever seemed to be right in their own eyes. God was faithful to his covenant to rescue his people and to bring about relief to the inhabitants of Judah and precisely Bethlehem. The house of bread, which we saw was the house of hunger in our previous sermon, now becomes full and satisfied because God had provided bread for his people. Now the key word in verse 6 is the word visited. The narrator here, he's not choosing that word haphazardly. He's not looking at a thesaurus to see what is a good word to go here and to make the the narrative flow nicely. He's looking at a word that conveys covenantal commitment by God. He's looking for a word that conveys covenantal loyalty from God to his people. And he uses the word visited. Now that word is important because it's a word that's supposed to conjure up in the minds of the Israelites, God is faithful to his covenant. It's like when we hear the phrase, we the people. It's supposed to conjure up in Americans the ideals set forth in the Bill of Rights. When the people of Israel heard, would read that God visited his people, they were supposed to remember that God is a gracious God. In Genesis 21, 1, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. You see that word visited. God brought about the promise of Isaac. Later on in the book of Genesis, Joseph, when he's about to die in Egypt, he makes the people of Israel swear to him, telling them, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here, that is from Egypt, back to the promised land. And just as Joseph said, God did visit Israel in Egypt. And in Exodus 4.31, it says, When they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and, they had, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. God visited his people in Bethlehem. God was faithful to his covenants. God was giving his people bread. And that news arrived at Naomi. And she understood that in the throes of her despair, there was a glimmer of hope. 
For she had fled Bethlehem, seeking out food, seeking out nourishment, seeking to prolong her life. And she, uh, although she encountered a difficult situation in Moab, now God has brought about a good providence. So, just like Israel, when God had visited them, an exodus was about to occur, so to here, an exodus is about to occur. Naomi is leaving the depressing fields of Moab. God's gracious covenantal loyalty towards willful sinners is magnificent, it's awesome. And when he pursues willful sinners, he is calling them to return. Prodigal Naomi is returning. But God does not only show Naomi gracious covenantal loyalty by providing food for her in Bethlehem, he shows Naomi gracious covenantal loyalty through a despised people. That is our second point. God shows his covenantal loyalty first by providing food for Naomi and the people of Israel, but also by extending grace through a despised Moabite. As we continue to read our story, we see that Naomi has second thoughts about Ruth and Orpah joining her back in the land of Israel. In verse 8, Naomi says, but to her two daughter-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. It seems that Naomi is a little bit uneasy. Remember, the last time we were together, we saw that Moabites weren't allowed in the assembly of God's people. And so as they're, it seems that as they're approaching their final destination, and Ruth and Naomi sees that this is going to be problematic. She has second thoughts. And she sends these two women back. And there are in, there's an interchange where Naomi releases Orpah and Ruth. And they rebut. And then Naomi releases them again. And then finally she releases Ruth a third time. But Ruth clings on to her. Let's look at these verses. Naomi tells Ruth and Oprah to return to her mother's home and to find security in the home of their husbands. And she prays that God will deal kindly with them as they have dealt kindly with her and her dead husband and two dead sons. The word kind is a rich and powerful word it's hard to translate in English because kind doesn't convey the richness of the word. What, Ruth, what Naomi was saying about the kindness of Ruth and Orpah was that they were loyal beyond what they were required to be loyal. When Malon and Kilion died, they were free to go. Yet they persevered and stayed with Naomi, helping her in her old age. They were exceedingly kind. And because of this loyalty, they refuse to go. In essence, they say, heck no, we're not going back. So Naomi tries one more time. Once again, she releases Ruth and Orpah and makes a compelling argument. 
I mean, if you read, if you remember what we have just read, she basically tells them, I'm too old, I have no husband, and even if I had a husband tonight and I became pregnant and I gave birth, would you wait that long to be able to marry my children? And lastly, she is implicitly saying, if you don't do something now, there's not a good chance you're going to have a family. And then at the end of verse 13, here is where we get the image of God for Naomi. Remember that we started by saying that these, there are two competing images. The image that we make of God and the image that God shows of himself, chiefly through Jesus Christ. This is the image that Naomi has of God. She says, Surely my lot is much more difficult than yours, because the Lord's hand has turned, or you can say, has gone out against me. These are charged words Naomi is expressing. As one commentator says, In Naomi's mind, the divine source of her troubles is clear. She was not merely a casualty of bad luck or misfortune, but Naomi believes that she's a victim of God's violence. That is her perception of God. God found pleasure she thought, in chastising and punishing her. Have you ever felt that way? God is mad at me, and I know it. It's easy to judge Naomi's reluctance to see that she was was the one at fault and the consequences were her, her own to be had because of her disobedience that the reason for the unfavorable providence was because she had abandoned God's people and God's land. But is she alone in her feelings? She feels mad, angry. As she will say later on, she feels bitter. All of this because in her mind, God is playing target practice. And she so happens to be the target. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that God is a cosmic policeman seeking out to chastise you at every turn? This is especially true when you feel that you're doing the things the God-honoring way. Allow your thoughts to be reformed this morning and see that God is working out His secret plan that may be painful and difficult, but is for your glory and to the praise of his name. For God's glory, rather, and to the praise of his name. Many of you might know already that me and my wife aren't able to have children. And in the beginning of this difficult process, this was one of the questions that came to our mind. That if we're doing things the way God wants us to do, namely not uh, pursue sexual intercourse outside of marriage and keep each other 
in the bonds of our covenantal marriage, in the bonds of our covenant, the covenant of our marriage, and not sin? Why is it that we can't have children? But God is loyal, even to willful, rebellious sinners. Even when we blame God instead of accepting our responsibility, responsibility or disbelieving His good providence or His uh, working out of a good providence, God is loyal to us. Orpah reacts. She looks at, she hears Naomi's argument. It's too old. Uh, you know, the prospect of her having children is very, very, uh, it's unlikely. And if, even if it were likely, it would be a long time before Orpah could get married. And she says, you know what, Naomi, you, you kind of have a point here. Um, I think you, you've made your case and, and I'm going back home. I'm going back to my mother's home. And she counted the cost. And she found that living with God's covenant people was just going to be too costly for her. So she left. So now there is a third challenge. Not for Orpah, but for Ruth. Naomi sees that Ruth clung to her and she compels her to leave. In essence, he said, your sister left, you leave. But Ruth, like a child who doesn't want to see a parent leave, clings to her evermore. And she says, don't pressure me to leave you. I am bound to you, Naomi, even until death. And where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. I am committed to you. I am bound to you, Naomi. The last clause in verse 16 is verbless in Hebrew. There, there are no verbs, and translation usually take a future tense in this verse. Your people shall be my people, your God shall be my God. Literally, it says, your people, my people, your God, my God. So we can translate it in the present tense. Your God is, your people are my people, your God is my God. Because that better conveys Ruth's urgency. You can almost say that Ruth's conversion was prior to this encounter for no one comes to this conclusion on the fly. This is the depths of Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and a picture of God's loyalty to Naomi. Just as Ruth would only be separated from Naomi because of, by death, Death was the only thing that would separate Ruth from Naomi. Nothing would ever sever that relationship. So also God was committed to Naomi. And nothing would sever that relationship. Just imagine the difficulty Naomi would have experienced living on her own. Old and unable to care properly for herself without a husband, without children. She was destitute. And Ruth saw her destitution and committed her life to her. Ruth would never abandon Naomi. And neither did God. God brought about a kind work 
in Naomi, not only to save Ruth from her eternal perdition, but to show Naomi loving kindness. Through Ruth, God showed Naomi that he was committed to her. And you say, well, how did this happen? How did Ruth come to this conclusion? How did Ruth become this loyal to Naomi? Did Naomi provide a good witness when she fled with her husband and her two sons to the fields of Moab? I don't think so. But what we have to say that this is none other than the work of God's Spirit in the life of Ruth. God called Ruth to Himself in a providential way by her affiliation with these people, these covenantal people from the land of Israel. I don't know if they talked about God, if they prayed the Shema. We don't know how Ruth made her decision but we know that it was God using even imperfect Naomi, Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion to bring about this glorious inclusion of a Moabite into the people of God. This is how the London Baptist Confession describes how we are saved. It says, This effectual call flows from God's free and special grace alone not from anything at all foreseen in those called. Neither does the call arise from any power or action on their part. They are totally passive in it. They are dead in sins and trespasses until they have been made alive and renewed by the Holy Spirit. By this they are enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. This response is enabled by the power that is no less than that which raised Christ from the dead. That is the impetus. The, the Spirit of God was working in Ruth. She brought, and, and the Spirit of God brought her into the covenantal family by His power alone. In the end, God's awesome grace through this despised Moabite is also to a despised Moabite. God used Naomi's affliction to bring about a salvific work in Ruth. And that's how we are saved. We, like Ruth, were far from God's promises. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, yet God chose us freely and graciously. And we can sing, Hallelujah, what a Savior. So what, what, what should we come away from this? What, what should we take away from this miraculous conversion? Well, one, God uses feeble evangelistic efforts to save sinners. It might not be perfect and not, might not, we, have not, we might have not crossed all our T's and dotted all our I's, but God uses even our feeble evangelistic efforts to save sinners. Naomi is proof positive that our evangelistic efforts don't have to be perfect or flawless. Hers were abysmal at best. Yet God used her by 
unknown means to bring about this glorious salvation in the life of Ruth. And the other thing is that God's grace comes to us through the local church. Just as Ruth was a picture of God's covenantal love towards Naomi, so are we a picture of God's covenantal love to each other when we express the spirit-empowered commitment toward one another. The church universal is flawed, but there is no place that I would rather be in where we gather Sunday after Sunday to proclaim the riches of Christ's redemptive work, that we are reminded that God has committed himself to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is the covenantal promise that we have through Christ, the one who is with us even to the end of the age. And we are reminded about that when we act in covenantal love toward one another. And here in our final section of our verses, we see that God's grace is not only toward a rebellious people, and God's grace is not only through a despised people, namely Ruth, but God's awesome grace is for a broken people. And that is what we see in verses 19 to 22. If you look at these verses... Naomi's decision to return despite her shame is a clear indication of the spirit at work in her life. That we can say. This is prodigal Naomi. She's returning from the far country, namely the fields of Moab. But this is not the same Naomi that left. The young, energetic, enthusiastic, ready to grab life by the horns, if you will, Naomi is gone. Her energy is depleted and her optimism is no longer. Notice her interaction with the townswoman. They say, isn't this Naomi? She says, "Don't, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Now, Naomi's use of the word Mara is proper for herself. Not only because it means bitter and she felt that she was bitter and she was actually bitter. But Mara is a significant place in the history of the people of Israel. It was at the waters of Mara where the people grumbled. And here Naomi is grumbling. She is upset. Just like the people of Israel were upset that God didn't provide for them water, fresh water. Here Naomi is upset at the providence that God has given her, that she is without her husband and her two sons. She is broken, and she is living a very painful experience. She says, the Almighty, the El Shaddai, this is verse 21, has brought calamity upon me. I went away full, a husband and two sons, but the Lord, He is the one who has brought me back empty. The Lord has acted as both judge and jury in my case and has found me guilty. Naomi is broken and it's hard to understand in her expression 
how she is processing this whole uh, journey. Because she has left Moab, so, so, so there is a sliver of hope. She's seeing some type of hope. She's seeing some type of potential opportunity for her life to continue. But here, she's confessing and just letting it loose. I'm coming back home, but I'm upset. Naomi is broken. And this concluding part is hard to understand. Because on the one hand, you have Naomi blaming God for everything that has happened to her. She's not taking any responsibility. She's mad and furious. How could God do this to me, she's saying. And on the other hand, she has returned from the fields of Moab. The word that dominates this entire section is the word return. As a matter of fact, the section starts with the word return in verse 6. And ends with the word returning in verse 22. And this is the same word that God would have the prophets use when he was calling his people back to himself. So we see here, in a sense, that God is causing Naomi to return to himself, to his people, to his land. But yet Naomi is struggling. She's struggling because she has encountered a very difficult and hard providence. So understandably, this is a, there's a bit of disagreement on what to make of Naomi's actions and words. She complains about God, seeing him as a cosmic policeman, and yet she returns to the land of Israel. So what are we to say? Is Naomi repentant, not repentant? Is she taking blame for what happened, not blame? Well, her words don't indicate that she's taking blame. But her actions indicate that she's seeking refuge in God's promises. And what we can say is the path of discipleship is hard. And we are in constant need of our thoughts to be reformed after the pattern and image of of what God has revealed of Himself. What we can say is, Naomi did return, yet her thoughts are still being challenged. And as we look later on in the book of Ruth, we'll see that her thoughts about God, her image of God, starts to align with the proper image that God has revealed of Himself. This is exactly what happens to Job. Job too was accusing God, yet in the end, God helped Job see that the image that Job had of God was defective. And after showing him his great power and his authority, Job, who was accusing God just as Naomi is, he tell, Job says, I know that you can do all things, God. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eyes see you. In Job's life, there came a moment where the image of God in him was reformed. 
And it was patterned after what God had revealed of himself. Job came to have a God-centered image of God and not a man-centered image of God. And that is the process that we are under today. Just like Naomi, we will struggle with man-centered images of God that we fabricate and that we develop on our own. The challenge for us today is to think of God rightly and to think of Him as He has revealed to us through His Word. And what has He shown us? That He relentlessly and awesomely pursues sinful people for their good and His glory. Naomi arose, she returned. She left a place where she was living and she found grace for her broken soul. Naomi's returning is by no means perfect. It is broken, as broken as she is, yet she returned nonetheless. And it says that Naomi returned with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her from the country of Moab. Had God abandoned Naomi, she would have died a tragic death, alone away from her people, destitute, bereft of her family, and financial resources. Yet God worked not only to fill her, as we will see in chapter 4, but to include her into the family line through which He was going to save the entire world. God saved the world through Naomi because He relentlessly pursued her. What a gracious Savior who pursues sinners and caused them to return to himself. This morning, we have seen God's self revelation that he is a gracious God that pursues willful sinners, and we have seen a false image that God is a cosmic policeman having target practice on our lives. One is right and the other wrong. This morning, It is the right one that we are compelled to believe and to think of. That God relentlessly, graciously, overwhelmingly pursues sinners, not because He hates them, because He loves them. And we see this primarily through Christ, who came not to seek His own benefit and worth, But he came to seek and to save those who were lost. And when we were still sinners, Paul tells us, Christ died for us. Given us eternal life. Now we are no longer strangers, aliens from the promises of God. We are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, adopted into the family of God eternally. And now we have, with this union with Christ, a blessed hope that cannot perish or fade away. That is the image that God wants you to have of Him. It's the image that He shows of Himself. And when you are tempted in your struggle, in your difficulty, to believe God less than He really is, to believe that God is not loving and kind and gracious, let the sermon of this morning remind you that God graciously pursues sinners to bring them to 
himself. Let us pray. Father, we thank you because your word shows us that you graciously pursue sinners. And we thank you because you have done that chiefly through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I pray that that is the image that we have of you, the image that you have revealed of yourself. I pray, Father, that you would do this work by the power of your Spirit in our lives. Through Christ we pray. Amen.